Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. I was at a Dodgers-Angels game with some of the people from our life group, and uh, usually, well, of course, the Dodgers won, and usually, um, I, uh, when I'm with Costell, Costell and I are Chargers fans, and usually there is a, um, a kind of symbiosis in our emotional engagement in the game. Usually when something bad happens for the Chargers, we're like, ugh. When something good happens, we are excited. But at this game, because he's an Angels fan, and one day he will be saved, and uh, because I'm a Dodgers fan, we were on opposite ends. Uh, when the Dodgers were scoring, I was elated, and he was crumpled, and well, that was it. That was the only thing that was happening during that game. <laughs> But it, it reminded me of the collateral damage that our friendships underwent during COVID and how we're still kind of coming out of that. And during COVID, one of the things that, that we realized is that we lost friendships. Uh, we lost friendships for a number of reasons. One of the reasons that we lost friendships was the way in which our friends handled the pandemic, the politics that were associated with that. There are people in the room that we know that don't speak to us anymore because of the positions that we held or they held. Um, we lost friends because of geographical relocations. Many people during COVID decided they didn't want to live here anymore and we lost friends. We also lost friends because we're tired. <laughs> And actually, investing in friendship takes a lot of work. And so this morning, I want to talk about how important friendship is for us. The National Institute on Aging says that the risk of prolonged isolation is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And isolation is not just if a person lives on their own. That isn't what isolation means. You can live on your own and actually be connected in a uh, community or in a family, or you can actually be in a family and feel isolated. So it's not about the reality of whether there is someone next to you, it's whether you are feeling connected and whether you're feeling isolated. And if, you, if you're feeling isolated, what they're saying is you may as well smoke 15 cigarettes a day. That's the impact it has on your health. Tim Keller says that Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. What he's referring to is the fact that when God created Adam, he said that it's not good for you to be alone. And we know that, that Adam and Eve rebelled, and there was a consequence which is known as the fall. But before that happened, the ache for friendship is the one ache that is not a result of sin. And I want that to sit with us for a little bit. This is one ache that is part of Adam's perfection. The way in which Adam was created was to be in relationship with other human beings. Most importantly, in relationship with God, but in relationship with other human beings. J.C. Ryle writes, This world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our sorrows and doubles our joys. And Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And so there's a sense in which a lot of us, even in this room, a lot of us will think, yes, yes, friendship is important. Why, why is friendship so hard? It's because we're such insecure people. Both men and women are deeply insecure. And part of the problem, the way in which this works out with men is 
I remember a time where I was going to go out with a friend of mine, and my daughter said, oh, isn't that cute? You're going on a mandate. Are you having a bromance with so-and-so? And, and, and the words that we use, like bromance and mandate, are words that don't make men more likely to participate in the pursuit of friendships. In fact, it makes men more reluctant to do that. So even in the language that we use, there is this barrier. I see often, and Karen and I were talking about this, often when it comes to relationships in friendship groups, both men and women, there isn't necessarily this, this desire for deep friendship within the group, but there is a jockeying of position within your friend group so that you can be the queen or, or be the one that the queen of the friend group likes or the one that the king of the friend group likes. And there isn't this sharing of heart, there is kind of more of a corporate understanding of like, okay, who leads this group and who do we need to be close to in order to be part of this group? We have failed attempts, we have rejection, we have hurt from past friendships, and we also have very, very frenetic lives. Sociologists will tell us that we lose half of our friends every seven years. So from the age of zero to seven, you have a certain group of friends, obviously, because you're zero to seven, and I guess your mom and dad tell you these are your friends, you know? From seven to 14, you move into a different age, and you know those friends are different from seven to 14. From 14 to 21, you're in high school and in college, and you have a specific group of friends. From 21 to 28, you have a different group of friends, and then from 28 to 35, you're like, oh wow, if you're 35, it is even more difficult to make new friends because by that time, your life is pretty set in terms of your status, your career, and it makes it very, very difficult for us to develop those kinds of friendships. We're insecure, our lives are frenetic, but also because of the fall of man, we are also deeply selfish individuals. And so here we are, insecure individuals and selfish individuals, and I think as a result of COVID, we've become even more self-centered and more flaky. Because of COVID, what happened is everything would just be canceled at the last minute. Okay, do you guys remember two, three years ago, we're going to meet as a church? Only kidding. We're not going to do that. We're going to do this. Only kidding. And so we, we became used to the fact that actually when you make plans, they're not as important as they were maybe three years ago. What we call friendship today is often what I refer to as relational collateral. I'm going to align myself with this person because they're going to be good for my career, or emotional collateral. I'm going to align myself with this person because they're going to be good for my emotional needs. And um, I'm going to make friends with this person because they, I enjoy them, because they make me feel better, and because they fit in well within my time and structure. Now, we may ask the question, why don't I have good friends? I just don't know how often we ask the question, am I a good friend? And so this morning, hopefully, we'll be able to kind of gather around that. Um, my wife challenged me one day. We were, we were riding, driving in the car, and uh, a friend of mine called me, and he said, hey, um, do you want to go paddleboarding? At that stage, I had a paddleboard. And I said, no, I want to go scuba diving. And he's like, well, I want to go paddleboarding. And I'm like, well, I want to go scuba diving. And uh, then we both just put the phone down. He went paddleboarding, and I went scuba diving. <laughs> and my wife, my wife said to me, what the heck? 
I said, yeah, right? He could have come scuba diving. <laughs> and she's like, no, you were not a good friend. You should have gone paddleboarding. And I said, no, he was not a good friend. He should have come scuba diving. And the reality is that she's right. We were both. Sorry. She was not wrong. The question that I should have asked in that moment was not what do I need or what do I enjoy. The question I, sh I should have asked in that moment is like, how could I be a good friend in that moment? So how do we define friendship? If we, if we don't define friendship properly, what we are looking for or what we believe we have is not going to align with what Scripture says. Proverbs 12 verse 26 says, the righteous chooses his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Uh, bad company corrupts good morals. We know that. Uh, those of you that have children will know that it is part of your parental responsibility to watch who your children engage with because that's a massively shaping factor in their lives. And so the question we should ask is, is it possible to develop deep and meaningful relationships, friendships with someone who doesn't want to be a friend of God? So if we are wanting to be friends with God, is it possible to develop deep and meaningful relationships with someone who doesn't want to be a friend of God? I would say that's challenging at best. When Paul talks about Timothy, someone that he considers a son, but also a friend and a co-worker, this is how he speaks of Timothy. He's talking to the Philippian church and he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by hearing about you. I have no one like him. He is a person who genuinely cares about your well-being. All the others put their own business ahead of Jesus Christ's business. You know his character, how he labors with me for the gospel like a son works with his father. The interesting thing I find in that context is that Paul does not say of Timothy that he provides this for me that the reason why I'm sending um, Timothy to you is because he's a good friend of mine. What Paul is saying is that Timothy's character is shaped around his labor for the gospel and his care for the church. And that directly impacts Paul because that is the purpose of Paul's life. And so I wanna to submit to you that I believe a wise friendship is a space where you are known, loved, and challenged so that you can be reminded of who you are and how to live. A space where you can be known, loved, and challenged so that you can be reminded of who you are in Jesus Christ and how to live in this world. I also want to say that friendships don't replace Jesus, but friendships should lead you to Jesus. Kelly Needham says, at its core, it's companionship forged in the fire of the conviction that Jesus alone can satisfy our souls. Our friendships should foster dependence on God not just one another. When our souls are thirsty, our friends can provide a cup of ice water. That's true. But a wise friend is able to lead us to the river of living water. And so that's what we need to be looking at when we look for friends. So the question that I said at the beginning is how can we be better friends? And there's a number of things. I think the first thing is that we need to be present and sacrificial. Proverbs 18 verse 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend 
who sticks closer than a brother. There's a uniqueness when it comes to someone that is your friend versus someone that is your companion. Now, this may go without saying, but I want to say this. Friends are people that are physically, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually engaged in your life. Social networks have done a real trick on us because they make us feel connected and they, they actually add to our loneliness. Because when I was a kid, I didn't know that I wasn't invited to a certain party that everyone was having the greatest time at. I didn't know that, I just wasn't invited. But now, not only am I not invited, but now there are all these pictures of everything that I'm missing with people that I thought were my friends. And so social media actually makes us lonelier because of all the potential things we could be doing rather than being satisfied with the actual flesh and blood people that are in our our lives. This kind of friendship, Proverbs tells us, is not neutral. It's not just unsatisfying. It isn't just second best, but it's dangerous. Proverbs tells us that it's bad and it leads us to ruin. I do want to say this. Many of you have mourned and are mourning friendships where people have geographically relocated. And I was talking to Stephanie about this. Like, how do you maintain a meaningful friendship with someone that was really very close to you that is actually in another state and in another country? And we do. And and there are different things. I have a Friday, 3 p.m., fourth Friday, I talk to Jesse Kinzer every Friday. That is a pale comparison to the kind of relationship that we had when we were here. But I enjoy it at the level at which I should enjoy it. I don't, I don't push away other flesh and blood people that are wanting to engage me because I have some kind of connection out there with someone that used to be in my life 12 years ago. Our relationship is different. I would still call him a friend, but it is different. Now, we should mourn these friendships, but I think sometimes we overlook people that are in our physical space that actually could be really good friends. And I think part of the challenge is because a lot of the time we're on our phone. We were at dinner last night for Karen's birthday. Whoop, whoop. I know. She chose, um, she chose Red Robin, and I don't know why. For the fries. Bottomless garlic steak fries. Um, and there was, uh, there was a table um, to, our, to our right, and all four of them were sitting on their phones. And I was thinking to myself, wow, they are more concerned about the people that are not there than the people that are there. I think sometimes we can get caught in that same trap. There's a man in our community who was mourning friendship, and one of the things that he said is, I'm going to do something about it. So he invited um, four or five other guys, and they have breakfast at Kimmy's at 6 a.m. in the morning. It's not rocket science. Something may come of that. It may not. But what he wants to do is make sure that he's not focused on the people that have left, but on the people that God has actually put presently in his life. Our most precious commodity is time. And if we want to be good friends, we need to be present in our people's, in our friends' lives, but we we also need to be sacrificial. Now, I'll give you a hint. This is hard for me. The the whole idea of sacrifice is not hard for Karen. Karen is a servant. She serves everyone, which is why she has two cups of coffee for her birthday, and I'm I'm basking in the overflow of her blessing. And... um, 
And you know my proverb, this is from Nick's proverbs, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, however, there is a friend who will take you to LAX during traffic. That is a deep friendship. And I think part of what we don't understand when it comes to engaging in friendship is that our most precious commodity is time. So if I said to Patrick, hey Patrick, um, I need to get to the airport tomorrow at seven o'clock in the morning, and Patrick says to me, I got you covered, man. And seven o'clock in the morning, an Uber driver shows up. Now, by his words, was he correct? Was it covered? Yes, it was. Do I feel deeply connected to Patrick on a friendship level now? No, we're gonna have to have a conversation, right? Because the, the issue is not necessarily that I want my problem solved, I want my problem shared. And that's what friends are asking, is how can I share your problem? Uh, Sean mistakenly invited me to help him uh, level the concrete in his addition. That was a problem doubled. That was not a problem shared, you know what I mean? That was two people with very limited skill and even more limited tools thinking, we can do this. And we made a mess of it. We made an absolute mess of it. But that is something that I will remember, not because the problem was solved, but because of a couple of days after, not directly, we could laugh about that, you know what I mean? Val is still laughing about it, you know? Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A real friend chooses to love you even when you are the cause of that adversity. Now think about this, because this is hard. Imagine the response that you have towards someone where you have caused them trouble and they are still with you. I'm not letting you go. That is something that the world doesn't see because companions kick out when it's hard. So if we're present and sacrificial, we also need to be purposeful in shaping. And we shape each other by polishing each other. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Now the sharpening of a person is helping them to be better. This is not necessarily the idea of pointing out sin or pointing out flaws or weaknesses in someone. We're, we're gonna get to that. This is sharpening someone. This is helping them set more challenging goals. Uh, it's often that we can see in someone else what they can't see in themselves. That we can call out what they are afraid to step into because we can see that in them. That's a sharpening. We help them set challenging goals, expect more from themselves. We spur them on to love and good works. And this is about becoming even more effective in our missional engagement. The sharpening is like sh the sharpening of a sickle. And a sickle is used in the harvest time. And we harvest each other to actually be able to be more effective to do what God has called us to do, which is to be on mission. And so if we are to be purposeful in shaping, and one of the things God has called us to do is to polish each other, the other thing he's called us to do is to pierce, and this is a little more difficult. Proverbs 27, five to six says, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Oscar Wilde says, true friends stab you in the front. I wanna say this, that is true, but that requires request and permission. 
And so this is not about all of us suddenly grabbing our knives and stabbing everyone in the chest. Well, at least I didn't stab you in the back. Well, there's that, okay? But this is the fact that we understand that I am offering you my chest. And I want to say this. This is another Nick proverb. If you offer someone your chest, they can't stab you in the back. And so there's a sense in which when you choose to be vulnerable with someone, there are times where you will be betrayed. There are times where that will hurt a little more, but at least it won't come out of nowhere. Now, I do want to make some qualifications. Um, Jesus tells us that we have blind spots. When Jesus is telling the parable about the speck and the log, he's not saying that you should not talk about or help your brother take the speck out of his eye. But he's saying take the log out of your own eyes so that you can see clearly to enable your brother to see that blind spot. And so we do have a responsibility. But there is an awkwardness when it comes to this whole idea of piercing someone with the truth. I mean, I'll give you an example. I want to give anyone freedom in this room if my fly is down to tell me that my fly is down, right? Please. If I have spinach in my teeth, we don't need to think about what kind of level of friendship do I have with Nick. Please, please tell me I have spinach in my teeth. However, there are few people in our lives where we have given permission to speak into how we raise our children. And people have done that. I remember Dan and Marsha coming and, and sitting with Karen and I and actually saying, hey, this is something we've noticed. And then we chatted about it. And we were pierced by that. But there was a sense of request and permission. My, my, my question to you is, have you opened your chest to someone? And if you have, did you close it very quickly when they took an initial stab and pierced you with the truth. Companions only want affirmation. True friends want truth. If you want to know whether someone is your companion or your friend, you will soon find out when you've crossed that line. And it isn't something that is welcomed. Companions also flatter, uh, but friends honor. And the difference between flattery and honor is this. Flattery is like, hey, that's a cool pink salmon shirt. Well, no, I guess it's not pink or salmon. What is it? Okay, whatever, it's pink. That's a cool shirt. Honoring is when we look at a characteristic of Jesus and we call that out in someone. I also want to challenge us to read the moment. I love this proverb here. Proverbs 25, verse 20. Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in the cold weather or pouring vinegar in their wound. So read the room, right? Um, when we come with a piercing truth, we've got to be able to read the room, even if you have permission. We need wisdom to know whether this is a time for us to just sit and sympathize with someone or whether this is a time to help them see the role that they played, even though they are wounded by what is happening. We need to ask God for the wisdom to play the role of coach or cheerleader. This is what you can do better, coach. You can do this, cheerleader. Do you have friends who have unfettered access to speak the truth to you? And are you willing to pierce with the truth, but then add the solve of love? I know this hurt, but I'm here, I'm with you. And ultimately, 
the last P that we add to that is pray. One of the things that I would challenge us on is before we come with a piercing truth, how many minutes have we spent in prayer for that person, for that issue? Have we taken it to God and said, Father, will you reveal this to this person? Will you help me to bring that sort of truth with the salve of love? There's certain things that only God can do. That's why we need to pray. And lastly, wise friendships, or friendships we should look for are those that are purposeful in mission. A wise old man, Rigby would be frustrated if he knew that I called him a wise old man. But it was Rigby who said that a fish can swim past a hook, but it has to break out of a net. And our friendships are nets that we use to be fishers of men. And so what he's saying is that one of the things that is the most effective is when our relationships act as nets of mission so that we can be fishers of men. And this is awkward and this is difficult. Uh, one of the times I remember we had a UFC viewing party and one of the guys decided he was going to bring a friend from the gym. His friend doesn't know Jesus. Um, he was just there. And it was a little more awkward. It was a little more awkward because he was drinking more. It was a little more awkward because his language was definitely more colorful than language that we were used to. But man, it was exciting to join our friend on mission. And the only thing that we were doing was creating a net of relationships and friendships so that this person has an opportunity to look and to see what a life of joy and purpose in Jesus looks like. And that's the opportunity that we have when we create authentic friendships. I think the challenge is most of us have a goal of protecting our friendships. That is our highest value, rather than deploying our friendships as an opportunity to see people come into the kingdom. To actually be more inviting with the space. That our friendships become a vehicle for us to revel in the mercies of God. Our friendships become a vehicle for us to display the mercies of God to proclaim the mercies of God, and to participate in acts of mercy for the common good. Karen's consistent theme in her entire life of raising the kids, we went around dinner and we said, what is one quality of Karen that you would like to have in your children one day? And then I said, this is one quality of Karen that I see in all three of you. And one of the things that Karen always says, there's always room for one more. There's always room for one more. We can find a space, we can find a toy, we can find a plate, there is always room for one more. And that's something I wanna invite you to in the context of your friendships. Because if that's the idea that you have with regards to your friendships, there's always room for one more. You don't have to spend energy on trying to guard that friendship. Because the joy that you will receive as that friendship circle is multiplied and as you get to display something of the glory of Jesus to them will be far more important than you guarding your relationship with this one person. There's always room for one more. Drew Hunter in his book Made for Friendship says this, the greatest power for becoming a better friend is to be befriended by the best friend of all. God designed us for friendship, and we rebelled against Him. Adam and Eve rebelled against this idea of walking with God in the cool of the day. 
but he calls us back to intimate friendship through Jesus Christ. Band, you can come up. Now, as it's summer, I think the cool of the day is 9.30 at night, right? But I remember when I was a kid, when we were in Greece, and we would walk in the cool of the day. And there was just this, this beauty as the sun was setting, and we'd walk in the cool of the day. And in Genesis, it says that God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And because of our rebellion, we were separated. Adam and Eve were separated from God. But God's goal in salvation history was that we would become one as He is one, that we would taste something of the beauty of the friendship in the Trinity, and that God took sole responsibility for that, that God pursued us. In the Old Testament, He pursued us with a desire to be our friends. God's commitment to friendship is exhibited by the covenants that He makes and the names that He speaks about the covenant bearers. He says, Moses, I speak to face to face like a man speaks to his friend. Abraham is called a friend of God. In the New Testament, He continues because He comes incarnate in Jesus and sits with men and women, and eats with them, and touches them, and heals them, and talks with them. Friend of sinners. That's what Jesus was called. That was the condemnation that the Pharisees gave him. Friend of sinners. Jesus makes the declaration that not only has he come to be our friends, but every single barrier to friendship that we have is broken because of what Jesus has done. Jesus himself tells us this in John 15, verse 13. No one has greater love than to give up his life for one's friends. Whatever friendship you have that you value highly, I doubt in this room that the reason why you value it highly is because that person chose to die for you. No greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. If, if you do what I command you, I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so you could go and produce fruit. Not only do we have a life of friendship with Jesus where he calls us friends, but we have a life of purpose with Jesus. Because I've called you to be friends, but I've also called you to produce fruit as you abide in me. I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit and so that your fruit would last. And as a result, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. I want to say this morning, when, when Jesus is your friend, you can deal with the betrayal of friendships that you have received and will receive in the future. And you can deal with that because Scripture tells us that He was pierced for us. If you've been betrayed by a bad piercing, you know that Jesus was pierced for you. John Mark told us this morning that, that in that room, Jesus showed His piercings to the disciples. When Jesus is your friend, you don't need this high measure of self-sufficiency, which is the key component of male competency. You don't need that. But you also don't need to be super needy because Jesus is the basis, the seat of your identity and your authority. 
don't need to be insecure. We don't need to pretend like we don't need anybody because we know that Jesus is our friend. When Jesus is our friend and we experience seasons of loneliness, whether we're married, whether we're in a relationship, whether we're in a family, or whether we live on our own, we know that He is present because He promised never to leave us or forsake us. Because as He ascended to heaven, He said, wait and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the deposit of Christ, sealing your inheritance until the day of redemption. When we have Jesus as a friend, we will never experience that deep, dark loneliness. When Jesus is our friend, He helps us to be better friends to those that are yet to come into the faith and to our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge the greatness of your sacrifice that you gave up your life freely so that we could become your friends. And because we are your friends, you have forgiven us and you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness and you've called us into a greater purpose. And I wanna pray for those this morning that are feeling wounded and are feeling lonely. And this idea of an ethereal Jesus out there is just not matching my emotional need. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, a fresh deposit of grace. I wanna pray that you would come and speak peace to loneliness. Pray that you would come and speak peace to self-sufficiency. Speak peace to neediness. I want to pray that you would come and that you would settle our irritated souls. God, I pray that as we turn our attention to you, you would minister to those of us that have been pierced, that have been betrayed, that are lonely you would even bring to light areas where we might need to go and ask for forgiveness from our friends. Jesus, ultimately we know this. We need you as a friend, but we also need each other. And so I pray for wisdom, God. Pray for wisdom to know who to give ourselves to, who to give permission to, how to read the room, Jesus, we need you. Come and speak, Holy Spirit. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about is, and just even as Nick was preaching this morning, how often, um, how often we can think about, well, Jesus, you can handle this salvation piece, but then all these other things I'm worried about, I got to figure this out on my own. Um, I don't know if you ever feel that way, um, but Jesus himself uh, is our friend and he can teach us to be friends. And so um, brothers and sisters and friends, we hold in our hands a symbol of our friend who laid down his life for us. There is the bread that we have that represents his body broken for us and extended to us in the ultimate act of friendship. Take it and eat. 
we also hold the cup of his blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins that opens the door to wholeness and to a full return to the presence of his Father that we are welcomed in because this has been paid for. We take this in remembrance of what you did for us, Jesus. The band is going to kind of close us out. There's going to be people to my left and to your right. But I just want to encourage you, if you need to receive prayer, maybe there's something that you've experienced as, as far as woundedness and friendships, but maybe you also have a sense of lack of hope around friendships. Friendships can be difficult. Jesus is the place where we find healing and help for everything in our life, including friendships. So if this is a tender place for you, I would encourage you to receive prayer. Take it to Christ and he will meet you in the middle of that. Maybe there's roadblocks and things that you've experienced in your life with not having kind of the kind of friends that you would like. Take it to the Lord in prayer. There's going to be people to my left, to your right. The band is going to continue to play. The rest of us, we're going to be out back, around back. There's coffee, donuts, and uh, would love to see your face, shake your hand, give you a hug. And uh, yeah, we love you. Go be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.